and we are recording episode 1001 wow dr joe lee on monday november 28th 2022 at 408 p.m eastern time you last came on last week i guess or the week before i don't know time's passing just getting back from thanksgiving break right um we talked about uh the lung membranes the the size of the of the water molecule in Dalton's as uh, as compared to COVID antibodies. Wow, you remember? I do, of course I do. Well, I would be terrible if I didn't. And um, you kind of gave me a science lesson on it. But for all the people who didn't watch the last episode, Doctor Lee, please introduce yourself. Okay, so uh, I'm, I started out a LASIK surgeon. I've been doing LASIK since uh, 1998. I've done about 80,000 cases in, in my career. And uh, when when COVID started, I mean, I'm, I'm a problem solver. And when COVID started, I was I was fascinated. And um, <clears throat> I just, it hit me one day that it couldn't have been, it couldn't be the antibodies. And see, that realization is what led to this whole three-year journey for me. But I just... I just don't think it's the antibody. What's the most rational outcome of this then? If you've been pursuing the truth, if you've been writing letters, having lawyers send letters, you've been documenting all of it and can't get a response. What is, I mean, we have an ideal outcome and then we have a most likely outcome. Well, so what's the most likely? I or, let, or we could start with what's the ideal and then work down to okay, so the ideal would be, you know, the, the science leaders, they do the right thing. I send them the email. I say, hey, Dr. Fauci, uh, you know, the lung is an airspace and our body is mostly water. And we're not drowning our own in our own fluids because our lung is able to keep water from filling our lungs. And that membrane that surrounds our lung is called the blood-lung barrier. If you Google that term, that phrase, there's millions of hits on it. I didn't invent that phrase. So if I tell Dr. Fauci this information, this was in October 2020, then the ideal thing is for Dr. Fauci to say, oh, thank you, young man. Wow. Wow. We had no idea we made a mistake like this. Well, yeah, because if the antibody is gargantuan and this lung membrane can stop water molecules, which are tiny, our antibody molecules are 145,000 Daltons, 8,000 times heavier than a water molecule. And if the COVID antibody has no path into our lung, well, then what can it neutralize? So that would have been the ideal response for Dr. Fauci to say, wow, you're onto something. We, we better vet this. We better check this out. I mean, I give out billions of dollars in funding. I can spend a couple million to have everyone look for how this antibody gets into the lung, why the flu vaccine thought it would it worked all these years, because the flu vaccine does the same thing. And so the ideal thing would have been for Dr. Fauci to say, yeah, there's a problem here. And uh, I, I'm not saying I agree with you. I am saying, you're, you're, wow, your questions are really good. And any scientist that is given the information you just gave me would have to say, yeah, we got to stop. We can't vaccinate infants when we don't even know how this thing works. 
we, we just have to stop. That would have been the ideal thing. But obviously, that didn't happen. And now we're two and a half years later into this. Is there any, because again, I, I, I have to, as I did last time and as I do ep every episode, I, I have to play devil's advocate and just try to, for the sake of the argument, have to try to play the other side. Absolutely. Because if we're both agreeing with each other, then there's no point right. watching the episode. There's no point in doing the episode. Mm -hmm. If we just both agree, Dr. Lee's right. You're right. He is right. The end. It's it's foregone conclusion. You just put it in the title. You don't need to watch an episode. You can make a three-second <laughs> song. That's why I will always play devil's advocate. Just because Absolutely. why the hell else are you watching the episode? Um, is it that the, and this is as someone that got a biology degree 10 years ago, so I'm a bit rusty and I never in anything past a bachelor's in biology. Is it that, does the antibody have to neutralize it in the lung? Does it, is that how it normally works? Is immunology, is that how immunology works? Do you wait until the virus passes the blood lung barrier into the blood and then it gets neutralized? Is it, because it would have to be if it doesn't if it seems incorrect or if it seems so absurd then i would imagine our model is probably incorrect and that there isn't something this absurd this absurd escaping all of the all of the and i and i don't i don't not assume that there's a lot of evil and fuckery afoot that's i think we've seen that as a as a truth but I would imagine that this would have gotten more traction earlier on or, or it hasn't. And it really is just one of those simple things that everyone looked at. Like right now, I'm, re I'm I just started a book called the wireless wars. It's, it's pretty good. It's about China's rise in the Silicon industry. And, uh, they were doing this, uh, they're doing this test with early mobile phones and they gave it to a bunch of journalists and they're like, they wanted them to like call loved ones and stuff from the airport and then they would drive them all to like the uh the the corporation headquarters in Manhattan or whatever. And the people that invented the phone knew that the service only was good within like two miles of the airport and within like two miles of the headquarters. And they were like, "This is going to be a PR disaster because they're all going to have these brand new phones, and then they're all going to shit the bed on the highway." Right. And they were like, "We don't know how to tell them all not to use them." So the CEO was like, "I got an idea." Let's put them all. Let's put them all in like the private helicopter, and we'll fly them from the airport to the headquarters. And they're all going to be ooh ah, and then we'll just come up with a little lie. Now I don't know if this is true. I need to fact check this because I learned this this morning. Sure. But apparently, everyone's playing with their phones. They're making phone. Oh my god, I'm in the car making a phone call. And, <laughs> and, and you know they're like, "This is great. This is great. We got a little treat for you guys. We're flying you to the headquarters in a in a helicopter." And they're all, "Oh my god!" And he gets them all, and he goes, "But." And he made it up. He goes, these new phones can disturb the like the radar signal, so we're going to need you to please power off your cell phones during flight. What's and, been? And the technicians looked at him, and he just kind of gave them the shut up look. And they're all right. Everybody shut off their phones, and just the lie was perpetuated until wasn't right. it like five years ago that they're finally like, yeah, you can use your phone during. Now I don't know if that's all truth. I might, I might be gullible as hell and gobbling up a narrative that some author used to sell a book that's also true but my point is is who knows it it maybe it is something as i mean the british the british put out propaganda in world war ii that the reason they were able to detect incoming nazi planes was because all their soldiers ate their carrots and the vitamin a 
gave them and the lutein gave them better vision. And this is right up your alley, you're a LASIK surgeon. But it was to cover up the fact that they had radar. And they uh, didn't want the Nazis going, how the right. fuck are they seeing shit in the dark? So I like that. They were like, hey, we don't want the Nazis going, hey, these guys have new technology. So instead <laughs> That's of the ultimate head fake. Yeah, they're like, eat y'all carrots. And, like, and that was it. And of course, the Nazis looked into it eventually and found the radar and whatever. But my point is, is like, Sometimes the symbols of, of, of lies or misconceptions do get propagated. So that that's my question. Is is your model wrong or is it something so simple that it was indeed overlooked? Not that you have the answer, but. Oh, I do. I do have the answers. You know, I do. But <laughs> I have the crystal ball. I have everything. I'll tell you what stocks to invest in. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of like uh, rain dancers. Yeah. It, they were always right. It always did rain. So you have to, if you're going to, I'm not saying this industry started like this, but if you're going to scam people, you've got to have a good result. Yeah. Without a good result, people are less interested. Yeah. So, you know, you know, there's a drought, long drought, it rains, drought, and it rains. And then the clever rain dancers started doing a rain dance. And they were 100%. It always rained. So you have to have a positive result. You can't really have a scam without a good result. Everyone wants something good. So then you look, you look at the vaccine industry, uh, measles, mumps, rubella, smallpox. Okay, here's a theory. So here's a theory for why measles went away in the US over the past 40 years. A mother sees red dots on a child's face her child's face and says, nope, Tommy, you stay home today. Or you stay home for the week. Now, this kid is, what, five miles away from school. Can he spread the measles when he's isolated? Clearly not. So here's an alternative hypothesis for why the incidence of measles in the U.S. dropped, plummeted. Visualization of red dots on a child's face, and then you isolate the child. Now, in science, is there anything more powerful than isolation to prevent viral spread? Now, the vaccine industry thinks it's their measles vaccine that takes credit, that should take credit for the decrease in measles in the U.S. over the past 40 years. Well, I have an alternate hypothesis that says visualization and isolation should take credit, should get all the credit. Now, in science, if I propose a hypothesis this good, the other side, the vaccine side, doesn't automatically get credit for the decrease in measles in the U.S. They actually have to deal with my hypotheses. And my hypothesis is really good. I mean, I discovered this because as I was doing the whole COVID vaccine thing, I was not an anti-vaxxer. And I was reading this paper on the incidence of measles in Africa and in some city in Africa, the results weren't very good. And I always thought, oh, the measles vaccine was like 98, 99% effective. That's just what I thought, even after I discovered all this about the COVID vaccine in the first year or so, nine months. And then when I was reading this paper, I thought, oh my gosh, dark skin, red dots aren't so visible. So then what if it was correct? Okay, go back to all the viruses that we make vaccines for, measles, mumps, rubella, smallpox, all the viruses 
that we don't handle well. Encephalitis, hepatitis, HIV. I mean, yeah, there is a hepatitis vaccine, but generally the vaccines that work that are out commercialized are the ones where the viruses humans handle pretty well. And the viruses that we don't handle very well, no vaccines for. It's just an interesting thing. So you have to, you have to have a good result in order for a scam. And I'm not saying it's even on purpose. I'm saying in order for uh, something to go this long, you have to have good results. And yes, the decrease in measles is a good result. And then you, okay, let's go back to the very, very first vaccine, the polio vaccine. I think this one's very interesting because you know, people ask me about it all the time. And I said, okay, how's this for a theory? <clears throat> if I'm a kid, 14-year-old kid at the time of polio, and my friends, they got paralyzed, neck down, they can't move, and we can't play anymore. And I'm scared to death. Everyone is scared. Everyone's wondering what the hell is happening. I mean, it could be Martians. It could be aliens. It could be anything. It could be the ants that have a new disease and they're giving it to us. We have no idea. The moment the researchers discover the mode of transmission for polio, fecal oral, okay, so now we know where it comes from. It doesn't come from aliens shooting laser lights at us. It doesn't come from ants. It comes from poop. An infected person has to take have a bowel movement, and that feces has to end up in my mouth. And if I'm a 14-year-old boy at the time, I'm going to keep my lips sealed. I'm going to wash my hands. Nothing, no one else's feces is going to get into my mouth because I don't want to be paralyzed. No, so here, that's a theory for why polio went away. Understanding the mode of transmission. That's critical because now you know where the enemy is and how to fight it. The enemy is in the shit. So you stay away from shit. You have hand-washing signs in every restaurant, bathroom, restroom. You have, you know, more disposable diapers. I don't even know if they had them back then. You have wipes now. You're sanitizing everything. Everyone's aware of the issue. And shit is the problem. Well, yeah. You know, I just had this. My mom passed away. I, I told you last time she was she had a stroke. And um, I was next to her bedside. And there was a. When did she pass? Nurse. Excuse me. When did she pass? On my birthday, on the 21st. I'm sorry, man. I, yeah. I, thought, I thought she had. Okay, I so thought she, she had half stroked out, so she was practically brain dead at the gotcha. time. But I'm sorry, man. So I was sitting there, and um, and I was talking to the nurse, and you know she looked like she was from the Middle East, or it turned out she was from Pakistan, and she, you know, I'm anytime a nurse or a medical person talks to me, I'm going to turn the conversation to the vaccine, COVID vaccine, and the problem. And I explained everything to her. She loved it. Every minute of it, she just loved everything. And, you know, usually people try to get away from me because I can just talk forever. She just sat there and sat there, listened, listened, and asked questions, which means she's interested. Mm -hmm. You know, if they want to get away from me, I can tell they don't talk sure. to me. And they're looking at their watch. They got to go. But she just kept asking questions. And then she brought up polio. And she said, in, pa in Pakistan, they still have polio. And I'm like... 
Well, the vaccine doesn't work. The vaccine has nothing to do with polio. So in the US, the way we overcame polio is we realized the mode of transmission. And I said, you know, I know I have Indian friends that eat with their hands. In Pakistan, do you eat with your hands? She said they eat with their hands. Now, you see the, the problem with that. If everyone in Pakistan realized that the mode of transmission of polio was fecal oral and they washed their hands better and they used silverware for a year or six months, polio would be eradicated. But they're, they're focusing all their energy on what? On the vaccine? On making sure everyone gets it? And we already know with the COVID vaccine that antibodies, they all drop off in six months. And so how would it work? How would it work? You vaccinate the whole population every six months for polio, all the children. It's just, it's, how did, a, how did something uh, this wrong get propagated in science this far? Well, you had to have a good result. Then you also had to have laboratory findings that were consistent. Well, yes, the antibody does actually bind the polio virus in the test tube. So you had a good result, but it was from Anne Washington, personal hygiene. And you actually have the science in the laboratory. But see, that's the classic false positive. Meaning, if you live in a farmhouse and you have 30 cats, and you never see mice. You never, you just never see mice because you got 30 cats. And the one year you decide to buy a mouse trap and you catch one mouse in that mouse trap. And you catch that mouse in the mouse trap in the year 2021. Can you say that you never had mice before because of mouse traps? It's no. a false positive. So that's kind of like the whole antibody thing. I mean, it's just a weird, if you have a, the virus is a bad guy and you want to destroy it with the antibody. Well, this is the situation. We, our cops, they work hard and they chase the bad guys and they chase the bad guys all the way into the house. If a bad guy breaks into your house and is trying to kill somebody, the cops chase them in. Because a bad guy does almost all his bad stuff inside the house robbing, killing, stealing, murder, everything he wants to do bad, he does inside the house. Now, what use are cops that never go into houses? They're no use. The antibody never follows the virus into cells. They just don't do that. So what's the point? I'm not saying antibodies are useless. There's lots of different kinds of bad guys. I mean, we don't use our cops to try to kill mice. We have little mouse traps. Every enemy is different. You can't just say antibodies are for everything. All our enemies, they're not. Why would they be for everything? We don't, we have lots of different enemies. We have a different strategy against all our different enemies. We don't have just one strategy. So the, the you know, for the, if antibodies were actually just for pathogens, like bacteria that don't go into our cells, 
It makes a lot of sense. And they're very useful against that. But see, it's kind of like this. When you have bad strep throat, and I don't know if you're a father yet, but when your children are little and they get strep throat, you want to be on top of that. Because the streptococcus bacteria, we form antibodies to that. And it's very useful. And it helps us fight the bacteria. Well, when you have really severe strep throat and you make a lot of antibodies to that streptococcus bacteria, those antibodies cross-react with your heart valve. And that's called rheumatic heart fever, rheumatic heart disease. So the number one killer, morbidity and mortality for children under 20 in the early 19th century was from rheumatic fever. The streptococcus bacteria, that one antibody was a scourge. I mean, it, it just ruined lives. One antibody to one bacteria. But again, see, antibodies are very useful against bacteria. Yeah, anything in the blood, the antibody finds. Well, viruses go into our cells and they hide there. And the antibodies don't chase them in. You see, if you go back to the year 2020, we are pretty sure that no one had a COVID antibody because you get a COVID antibody from having an infection and waiting a couple of weeks or having the vaccine and waiting a few weeks, but no one had either. And 20 million, suffix, 20 million of us got COVID in the year 2020 with no antibodies. And 99% of us survived. So what did the antibody do first? It wasn't even there, was it? But don't you form the antibody as a result of the infection? Yeah, but you know, I mean, most people healed within a week. But wouldn't? But we would also have just playing devil's advocate. We would have to apply that to to every disease ever. That you got a disease before you had the antibodies for it. That's what I'm saying. And you survive. So, like, like the first time I ever got strep throat, right? I would have right. had to have survived it without having the antibodies no see bacteria they grow slower oh so then we'll have to go to like what, what what's a common virus oh like the rhinovirus cold virus. okay okay so the first time i ever got the cold i would have had to survive that before ever have right because there was a first time for it all so if i'm there a kid and i get the rhinovirus i would have had to survive that before i ever had the antibodies right so how did I so how did I survive that? So so what I'm saying is is this so this isn't necessarily unique to COVID. This is a bigger Correct. picture for all viral infections. Okay. So what yeah, what's the so that's what, why I keep saying because people tell me they come back at me, you know, I'm I'm helping with the devil's advocate situation. They come to me and they say, Well, look, it, it turns out that there was some uh, there was some kind of COVID virus in the community before COVID 19 came some kind of coronavirus, not COVID, but some coronavirus existed in the population. Okay, so my, my point then is, there was always a first time. And how do they heal the first time without antibodies? Well then, but so what that means is this isn't specific to, so yeah, not specific to COVID, this is viral infection. Well then what's the answer then? How, how do we survive the viral infection before ever getting any? Could it be that there's a mechanism that we are unaware of yet? Well, 
what what is it? How because we we are surviving them, right? Clearly, right. people are surviving. I've yeah, had... that's why I had that one million dollar bet on on Twitter. I say, look, I bet any scientist who has more than twenty publications because I just don't want the riffraff. I bet a million dollars to any scientist who has over twenty publications in this area, a million dollars that the ribonuclease enzyme destroyed a million times more COVID RNA strands within lung cells in the year 2020 relative to the COVID antibody. And no one's taking me up on it. Because you see, my, you know, it's not like I'm stupid and I'm risking my million dollars. Why? Because one, the COVID antibody barely existed in the year 2020. And you know that I don't think the antibody can get into the lung because it's gargantuan and has this lung barrier that can stop water molecules. And then even if it gets into the lung, it doesn't go into lung cells. And even if it did go into lung cells, the COVID antibody binds the spike protein and not the RNA. So there's zero chance of me losing. But it's just a very interesting thing that, okay, so a million times more COVID RNA strands within lung cells in the year 2020. The COVID antibody did nothing. It's just, it's the weirdest thing because see, when you face any enemy, remember there were no COVID antibodies in the year 2020. No one had training of any kind. Maybe 0.1% of the population had some overlap with some of the coronavirus. So we didn't have any training. We didn't have any antibodies. So the virus, COVID virus, gets to infect as many lung cells as it wants to Willy-nilly, it's going everywhere, it's having a heyday. It's just feasting. And so that RNA, once it's inside our lung cells, that RNA is the enemy. Well, we did deal with it. And what should you do, do to the enemy? You should destroy the enemy. And if you Google ribonuclease enzymes, there's a ton of literature on ribonuclease enzymes. And their main function is to destroy RNA. Well, here we have viral RNA. It is the enemy. We do want to destroy it. Does anyone else have any other candidate molecule that destroyed the enemy? I'm saying, you know, we destroyed it with the ribonuclease. No one else has any other possible suggestion because we did heal. And no, not one scientist on earth is proposing anything else. So, you know, everyone says, oh, we healed. We recovered, but how we healed and recovered in the year 2020, that's the secret, because once we understand that, we can facilitate that. We can help our human body do what it's doing really well if we are aligned with it. If we know what the human body is doing, we can facilitate that process. And it's the ribonuclease. That the initial effect, ribonuclease cleared all the RNA. Okay, so... Every, and your children will do this too. When they get sick, when they're toddlers, they'll get fussy and they will not eat. And you shouldn't try to force them to eat because they are doing this age old thing that evolution figured out because fasting activates these ribonuclease enzymes even more. And it's that simple. I mean, I, I call it my retroactive study, but I've got 30 billion people in it over the past 200 years. 99% of people did the same thing. You know, when they're toddlers, they get, they get fussy and they don't eat because that is how you activate the ribonuclease enzyme. So, you know, 
obviously we have many other mechanisms to fight viruses. But see, the virus is dangerous because of the rate of at which it grows. Mm -hmm. That's the main reason why it's so dangerous. Because a few virus particles, what's it going to do? Is that oh, some spike antigen? We clearly know that people get vaccines with all this tons of spike antigen. And, you know, some of them have side effects. Some of people even die from the vaccine. But the virus mainly creates problems for us because of the rate of growth. So we, that's the enemy. The enemy is it likes to reproduce. You got, you have to stop it. And how do you stop it? Stop it from growing. Stop it from replicating. And how do you stop it from replicating? Destroy the RNA. And stop it from growing. And so, you know, interferon is very antiviral. There's thousands of published peer-reviewed papers that show interferon is antiviral. Interferon was named interferon because it interferes with viral growth for almost any virus. So it works and we produce it. Our body produces it. Well, what's interesting, what interferon does, it goes around and it tells other cells not to grow. And the way it does that is there's it, there's many mechanisms, but a, a, a very clear one is it phosphorylates the initiation factor for pro protein translation. Once the initiation factor is phosphorylated, it doesn't allow translation. And interferon does that. So interferon is amazing. So a cell that's sick produces interferon. It starts going around to other cells, letting them know, stop producing, stop growing. Because this, this enemy, it causes us damage by the rate of growth. And if you stop growing it, it works. So, you know, the enemy, you got to know what it does. You have to fight it. You have to destroy it. And you have to tell the other friendlies how to fight the enemy. You fight the enemy by, by not growing it. And, you know, the ribonuclease is activated. All the enzymes, uh, it, it goes around and clears up the RNA. This is even funnier. You know, I mean, Moderna and Pfizer, they consider, you know, they're vials. It's mRNA. And they have to freeze it during transport. Why? Because a ribonuclease enzyme it's so ubiquitous. It's all over. It's in your hair. It's on your skin. It's on everything that humans touch. It's even in the COVID vaccine vials. Some of them have it. Some of them don't. Well, you know, usually sterilizing autoclaving works. But this ribonucleus enzyme is so, so unusual that autoclaving doesn't destroy its function. It retains function with heat. Most proteins don't work, but this one keeps working. And so all their vials made by humans, there's ribonuclease molecules everywhere, on your desk, everywhere. So if that vaccine vial has ribonuclease molecules inside it, it destroys your vaccine. That's why it's shipped frozen. It's just the craziest thing in the world. What they consider to be the tech contact they consider ribonuclease enzymes to be a contaminant. Mm. It's actually the molecule that saved humanity. And their molecule that they think saved humanity did nothing. I know, it's just bizarre to me too. That a mistake this big could be propagated this long is just flabbergasting. I just, I, it's hard to wrap my head around it.
but again, you know, I mean, I, I was wondering, yeah, yeah, it's just, for me, it's hard to imagine a mistake this big propagating, propagating this long. This is bizarre for me, but it's a false positive. And, you know, nature, they published an article about 10, 12 years ago about the replication crisis in science. People just can't seem to replicate the data that's in published right now. Half the data that's published can't be replicated. Well, what's unusual about the vaccine industry, the whole vaccine industry, it can be replicated, but for a different reason. I mean, you get good results because generally the human body heals and they keep getting good results because the human body heals and mothers can recognize red dots. See, so far as measles, my alternate hypothesis is, oh, you see red dots on a child's face. You isolate the child. Well, that's powerful. There's nothing in science more powerful than isolation to prevent viral spread. So why can't my hypothesis theory get 80% of the credit? It might, at least half. So the only way for them to disprove my hypotheses would be to take a thousand people, blindfold them for five years, and make sure they can't see red dots on their children's faces, because then they would know to isolate them. But then the teachers would isolate them, right? You can't set up an experiment to destroy my hypotheses, which means we have two hypotheses. And my hypothesis includes isolation, which is the strongest thing known to science to prevent viral spread. And the vaccine hypothesis includes an antibody that can't even, that just falls off like dramatically over six months and it's gone. It, it's just, you know, I mean, you know, whenever you have a theory and there's just too many exceptions to the rule, that's when a paradigm shift occurs. Mm -hmm. Too many exceptions. Over and over, there's just weird things that pop up and you can't explain it. So they say the COVID antibody drops off over six months. Well, the measles antibody can't be better than that. So then every four-year-old should be vaccinated with the measles vaccine every six months. For life, at least till 30. My son's 20. He, he got his last shot at four. He didn't have any measles antibodies left when he was five or six. So how did it help him? See, the inconsistency within their framework, it just this COVID vaccine just started, you know, opening people's eyes to the weirdness and the inconsistency. They have science. I am not saying the antibody is useless. I am saying it's very useful against bacteria, very useful against a certain kind of enemy. But the virus is a very different enemy. We can't even make medications, molecules that beat up the bacteria, and also beat up the virus. If we make a medication that beats up the bacteria, it doesn't work against the virus. So evolution has to use the same molecules, same biochemistry. It made an antibody, very good against bacteria. But why would we think that it would work against the virus? The fact that it's present means very little. See, it's this... It's this causation versus correlation, temporal correlation. If you have a thousand houses burn, you'll always find ash. 
if you're so impressed with that ash and you put it on an unburnt house, it doesn't help. So when we get COVID, yeah, three weeks later, we have antibodies. So how do you know that that antibody actually helped you in your fight against the virus? You don't know. See, if a, you know, if a pathogen, see, this is the essence of the point. We all know that antibodies in our body can do two things that can serve a useful function. Again, streptococcus is very useful. Or antibodies can be a side effect. You know, when the strep antibody attacks our heart valve, it's a side effect and no one appreciates it. So the fact that you have an antibody that binds a pathogen, you have to ask yourself, is it was it purposeful or was it a side effect? That's as simple as it gets. Was it purposeful or was it a side effect? Because when antibodies attack our joints, side effect. So if a pathogen comes inside our body, the B lymphocyte is not going to quiz it. It's not going to say, hey, are you a virus? Because I can just chill. It doesn't, it's not sentient. It's just going to pump out antibodies to any pathogen that it sees, not knowing that this kind of pathogen just goes into cells and you can't help it. So then all these antibodies are producing as the virus too, but no benefit. But antibodies are so useful against bacteria that we still have B lymphocytes. We still want them to work, but we can never train them to recognize all the viruses and say, don't make antibodies against this one, this one, this one. It's not the way evolution works. It's not the way biology works. So we have side effects from antibodies. The question is, against viruses, when antibodies form against viruses, is it a side effect or is it purposeful and should we be thankful for it? It's just a side effect. The whole vaccine industry built itself on a side effect of a medication that evolution produced for us for bacteria and extracellular pathogens. Against viruses, some harm, not much benefit. Not useful. See, babies under, under a year old, infants, they make less than 10% of antibodies that adults make. Okay, so this baby, remember, it had no training. Zero of any kind, never had a vaccine. It's mom, didn't have COVID. And this baby, now see, this is the, the whole concept of memory and training is what uh, these pediatricians and vaccinologists want to do. Training, they want to train the baby. And I'll tell you what memory is. This is what memory is. If an event occurs and you register it somewhere, if that same event occurs again and you take a different action that improves your survival, that is memory. Now, this baby, this six-month-old baby, never had any kind of vaccine, never had any kind of illness. Mom didn't. The baby gets COVID within a week. It clears its body of tens of billions of viruses. I don't think it was by chance. It knew exactly what it was doing. Now, I would argue that that baby had memory. Sure. It already had memory. It didn't have to have faced the enemy to know what to do with it. Because that's 10 billion viruses. You can't say that randomly. It knew it got it right every time. It knew exactly what to do, having never had, having faced the enemy ever. So there's some sort of epigenetic. 
Well, what I'm gonna what I would argue is that baby, if we're talking about memory training, that baby has the latest software updates in mm-hmm. its DNA in a billion years of evolution. It knows exactly what to do, and it did it. And you have a pediatrician who thinks he can jab that baby with some strange material and make that baby better? I don't think so. So what would be the causation or what would be the explanation of that? Would it be some sort of like epigenetic immunological response? Would it be something that... How how the baby healed? Yeah, how how did the baby baby clearly had memory, right? Ten billion viruses that wasn't by accident. Mm-hmm. It's it's it clearly it happened, right? So there is a mechanism yeah. that is outside of our model, which would well, it's seem... within our well, ribonuclease is already understood. Okay, to be a first line of defense. Gotcha. What I'm saying is, it's the main line of defense. Okay, ribonuclease combined with interferon, it's just the very basic strategy of not letting the virus grow. Okay, so you're saying those aren't like an auxiliary, auxiliary, auxiliary? How can we yeah. say that word? Auxiliary. I can't either. Auxiliary. <laughs> auxiliary. Auxiliary. Whatever. I mean, if you can say the in print, the word looks really good. Okay, auxiliary. We'll call it secondary. That one's easier. It's not a secondary line of offense. It's not an additional line of offense. Uh, defense. You're saying this is the primary line of defense. And uh, and interferon takes time for cells to start pumping out. And isn't that released more when your body is that the one that's released when your body starts undergoing a fever? Uh, probably, but with almost any viral infection, it's being released. It's how okay. much, how many cells are infected, how many cells are producing interferon. And you know, in the elderly, my guess for why some of them pass away is because they're not able to produce interferon as quickly. So for them. Having this other mechanism at work, not eating, fasting, activating your ribonucleases, is even more critical because their signaling is a little slower. And you know, viruses can kill you in four days. In four days, it, you know, the rate of growth is what's incredible for viruses. It's just ridiculously incredible. You know, every school kid knows that when you have a penny that doubles every day, that's a two times growth. And in forty days, that's a tremendous amount of money. That's a two times growth. Mm-hmm. So this is what I call my third grade math that the vaccinologist didn't do. And it's embarrassing because let's say a hundred virus particles come in, come into my body. That's my inoculation dose. I will give the antibodies a 95% kill rate. That's fair. They're not here to debate me. So I have five viruses left. Each one of these viruses go into cells, five cells. Each infected cell has between 1,000 and 50,000 virus particles. Now, let me just use a small number, 1,000. Not 50,000, I'll use a small. I went from 100 viruses that came into my mouth. With a 95% kill rate, I am left with 5,000 viruses. That's a 50 times growth. And I already conceded a 95% kill rate for them. 50 times, two times is incredible. Two times growth is ridiculously hard to manage. This is a 50 times growth. In like eight, nine cycles, your body is one solid virus. So 
there's a couple of assumptions I made in this. No one's going to dispute how many viruses are in each cell when they're infected. It's all over the literature. So my 95% kill rate, okay, maybe it's 99%. Okay, well, when you get vaccinated, a month later, you have your max dose of antibodies in your blood. And I'm calling that 100%. Well, at three months, you're at 80%. Antibody levels drop off. And how can 80% antibodies ever give you a 95% kill rate? So what I'm saying is, if this, this is just such simple math and they didn't do it. The math doesn't work out. It's like the, the scientists were so awed by this antibody that they found that binds the pathogen in the test tube, they, they thought it had to be purposeful. It had to be functional. It had to be useful because there's the bad guy, the virus, and the antibody is bound to it. It's like fighting that mousetrap. Well, you're going to ignore all the 30 cats that worked hard forever, and you're going to attribute all the lack of mice in your, in your house from this one mousetrap. Yeah, it's bizarre to me. And, you know, paradigm shifts do occur. And, you know, paradigm shifts occur when it's like I'm observing what's happening. Half the population hates the vaccine. No, 80% don't want to get the booster, right? Everyone's already, see, people are very smart. Oh, you told me it wasn't, I, I guess I got COVID. I got two, three boosters and I got COVID. Everyone is smart. Because if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Mm. So what I am saying is, with children, we have the vaccine, whole vaccine industry. Okay, stay-at-home moms want to do the best for their children. And you have this doctor who says he knows what he's doing. There's not a pediatrician on earth that can debate me. They're, they'll just, their brains will heat up and they'll stop talking to me and start calling me names. See, because even that simple math, the third grade math, they can't explain it because... If you want to be logical, okay, your measles antibodies dropped off in six months. It can't protect you at 10%. You need a booster. And why would you do it? See, they got away with this for so long because they're dealing with children who can't complain. I'm a LASIK surgeon. You know, when my patients are unhappy, they let me know. I have to be careful. I have to try to do the right thing. And it's endless. But they have patients that can't talk back. Yeah. It's over and over in the history of humanity. We trust our children with other people. And we always realize it's a mistake. <laughs> Every time. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, the, the scariest is always when they, they come in, they, they really believe that they're trying to help you. Well, yeah, that's right. That's the quote. There's nothing more dangerous than a man that knows he's correct. Even if he's not correct, if he knows he's correct, that's when you are capable of doing atrocities. Right? It's a little level. See, I love that quote. You know why? Because well, see, I had this. Wasn't it a was it Joseph Campbell or C.S. Lewis? There's some other quote about like there's no more dangerous tyrant than the self-righteous tyrant because an evil tyrant, he, every once in a while, he knows his, he's evil. His, <laughs> well, every once in a while, his bloodthirst is satiated, right? 
he, right. he he stops he stops the slaughter. He's got his fill. He'll be at it tomorrow, but for now he's taking a break. The tyrant that thinks they are truly doing the best think like a like a Mother Teresa or like a Jimmy Carter Habitat for for Humanity. Obviously, those are two great people, but look at them. They never stop, right? Because they know they're doing the right thing. Now those aren't good examples because they are act they. Mother Teresa did the right thing, and Jimmy Carter, yes, he's still building homes for the homeless. Those are good things. But it's coming from they know they're doing the right thing, so they never stop. What happens when you are a twisted psychopath? You know you're doing the right thing. That's why the that's why the death camps are going 24-7. You got to get uh, rid of the – do you uh, think – yeah. I'll tell you, you know what you just said, that quote is a great quote, and uh, it came up for me because I was – I had a one. I had a one-way debate with Sam Harris. Oh, really? One way. I mean, I just oh, oh one-way. yelling at him. I mean, because you know he's he was for the vaccine. And I'm obviously not for the vaccine. And Sam Harris is a very very intelligent guy, and he thinks he's very rational. And then on the twenty first, I you know this was one of my mom passed away, and I was just I was just upset. I just sent him hundreds of tweets. He never responded, but then he blocked me the next day. But then, the twenty fourth, he just deleted his whole Twitter account. So Sam Harris is off Twitter. Well, they're all doing that in protest of uh, Elon Musk. Yeah, I I know. But what what I'm saying about what he said is, see, Sam Harris is really certain the vaccine was good. I am really certain the vaccine is not good. So the, the difference is this: when you're really certain about something that involves Doing something to somebody else, maybe you shouldn't be so certain. When you're really certain about something that shouldn't be done to other people, maybe that's more correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what I'm... I'm saying is when you're really certain about something, you have a right to be that way when it means you're not doing something to someone else. You're not doing something to someone. Yeah, it's yeah, that's always the that's always the danger. If your certainty is giving you a free pass to do something to someone else, no matter what it is, yeah, you should always pause and go, right. what am I? I am so certain that I am removing the infidels from the world, that I'm going to put a bomb on my chest and go into a cafe in Baghdad. Well, you got to pause and go. And it makes rational sense. To a true believer versus yes. if your true belief is saying, I truly believe in bodily autonomy. I'm a conservative guy. And despite the fact that I do think it's killing, I, I will always be pro-choice because, and I know that's an incendiary thing because a lot of my followers are very conservative people, including. Hey, I see that flag. I know. And I have yeah. number but, but my logic is this. I always err on the side of if my belief is so strong that it gives me a blank check to do what I want to someone else, including saying you have to have this baby. I have to look at history. And as you just said, and I, I'm sure I will have people watching this will hate me. I have to err on the side of caution and go, my certainty is telling me what I can do to your body. That's a red flag. Right. And I oh so despite the despite the, the cross, despite the flag, despite the rah rah America, I always have to err on the side of autonomy. 
because but then, time... you know, I mean, then you go into what about bodily autonomy for that fetus, right? And then, and then that's a whole. Yeah, that's right. yeah, of, of course, yeah, I know. And that, trust me, I went to private Catholic school for twelve years. We were okay. we were introduced to this philosophical black hole before I had braces. Yeah, yeah, I know. And then it comes down to that fetus. And then does that then now and it switches and now you're black is white, white is black. You're through the looking glass. Uh, yeah, I know. It, it's a. Uh, and I would say, don't trust anything doctors say. But what their position on it is is because they're so driven by money that it, it, you just can't trust. You know. I don't know this for a fact. I don't know any of this, but I know that in China, some school teacher that was part of the CCP needed a heart transplant. Within a week, they had one ready for her. Yeah, that's it's, uh, that's just crazy. Yeah, that's then, a, that's a black market trafficking. Yeah. And then she couldn't have the transplant because she had a cold. The following week, they had another one ready for her. Well, that's just a world-class health system. <laughs> or they've got all the, or, or they've got all the Uyghurs. Or they've got two million Uyghurs in concentration camps, and they just anesthetize them and rip. They've the typed cost everyone already, right? They yeah. know what, what their matches are and everything already, right? I, sh- I should just have a button I can press where a Chinese flag drops over the American flag, and I tell you to stop spreading misinformation, and then I press a button <laughs> and, it, and it raises back up. <laughs> I have a, like a filter that comes on where I have like a chairman Mao suit on. <laughs> I I don't like people in power being that powerful. Yeah. That's always the problem. It really does seem to be a truism that that the more power you get, it's it's like what they say, money doesn't change you, money reveals who you are. Or excuse me, money doesn't change you, money amplifies who you are good people become better well it's not even that good people become better and evil people become worse it's just that the things they are doing it's a song being played but now someone puts a megaphone in front of it so a pretty good person who holds the door and gives money to the homeless shelter when they have a billion dollars now all of a sudden they're you know building charities and building clinics and that's always who they were they just had the ability a bad person who maybe used to uh, abuse a girlfriend, you can almost think of like an American psycho type thing. Now it's a guy who has the money to make hookers disappear and, you know, whatever. And that like the power will still change people. And But that's one thing I've realized is the money and power truism isn't interchangeable. I think power almost universally turns you into a, a bad person, I, which is... It, I have to agree with that. Which is kind of an, an absurd take. But um, uh, what was I going to say? Dude, I got to go to the bathroom. So I'm going to go fill sure. up my water bottle. So tell everyone where to find you. Tell them where to follow your Twitter. And uh, tell them about, did you did you get in an argument with Stephen King this weekend? I did. Somebody sent me a screenshot and they said, this is fucking hilarious. And I laughed so hard at it. <laughs> so tell, tell everybody about it. <laughs> So what did I do to Stephen King? Uh, I, I I should leave a man alone, but you know he's a little dark and he says a lot of weird stuff. He writes a lot of weird stuff, and uh, I don't want to really go into it. But the vaccine thing, I really think that um, the simplest argument why the COVID vaccine is stupidity is 
because a COVID antibody didn't exist in the year 2020. And yet 99% of us healed. So if we understand exactly how we healed in the year 2020, then we can facilitate it. And I've used this on my parents, on my grandmother. My grandmother's 99 years old and she passed away in January, but a year and a half prior to that, she was in a, a year or so prior to that, she was in a COVID unit in Georgia with the flu. And I called up the doctors, told them not to give her anything, no, no, no calories. And in four days, she walked out on her own from a COVID unit at the age of 99. So people don't quite understand how serious this is. The, the fact that the vaccine can hurt you, but it doesn't really help you. It's just the craziest false positive in, in the history of Earth. And it's kind of hard talking when there's no one there. But yeah, I should be a little nicer to Stephen King. I kind of broke him down and uh, people think he's a genius. And I said, well, let me describe what a genius is in rough terms. A genius is somebody whose mind reflects reality more accurately than the next person. Okay, that's what a genius is. So all sorts of people are striving to understand reality better than the next person. There's a lot of people in this game of trying to prove that they're better at understanding reality. Well, see, for Stephen King, they say he's a genius. I say he's just depraved. And why? Because he's writing fiction. I was explaining the Stephen King thing. So why I think Stephen King isn't a genius. Stephen King isn't a genius because the, the definition of a genius is someone that when your mind matches reality better and you understand reality better, you're smarter than the next guy. So the more closely your mind reflects reality, you can pre predict things better. You're you're going to, you're smarter than the next guy. But there's a lot of people in this game to try to understand reality, and you, you've got a lot of competition. Well, Stephen King, what does he have? Why is he a genius? Well, he has a lot of dark stuff he's spewing out. It's all fiction. None of it has to match with reality. He can spew the only thing that has to match is he has to stay consistent within the shit that he spews out. That's the only thing that has to be consistent. But you know, when dark, dark things come into our mind, we try to stay away from it. We don't like it. And so we don't even go engage in that. Now he goes really dark and he spews out all this dark stuff. Well, who else wants to do that? How many people are playing that game? Not very many. So he's the best of a few that are really, 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 really dark. Four standard deviations off the rest of us. And he likes it. The rest of us don't like that darkness. And we, ew, it just makes, it grosses us out. We don't want to be there. We don't want to think about it. We want to stay away from it. But he wallows in it. So this dark shit. And then the only thing he has to be consistent with is the stuff that he's already said. And who would know his shit better than he would? He would know his shit the best. So he can be consistent within his shit. So what, make, what about that is genius? Nothing. It's just dark. Because the rest of us don't like it. I'm saying relative, you know, if you're, if you're playing baseball 
and you're, you know, you're playing against 10 guys who are in the local home area versus college kids who've you know, been playing forever. If you pick the 10 best baseball players out of a million people or the 10 best baseball players out of 100 people, you're going to get more out of, you're going to get really good players out of the million. So a true genius, you have to play the game of reality because that's a hard game and that's what everyone's interested in. The fiction, I mean, dark, dark horror fiction, not many people want to play that game. And it's interesting for the screen and it brings viewers in and it's always part of humanity because we, we, we face darkness. I mean, we didn't get here without struggle and pain and suffering and death. Billion years of evolution, it was all horrible stuff that happened. And it's inside us that we want to stay away from it. But Stephen King loves it. <laughs> you could devil's advocate. You could argue he's a genius based on the fact that instead of looking at reality, he just peddles horse shit and gets a fat paycheck off of it. You could say that a genius would go, I have to look at patterns to be better aligned with reality. Someone else could go, or I could just dive into a world that doesn't even exist. And therefore I couldn't even be wrong. Like if I made up, if I made up my own language, no one, no grammar teacher could ever give me a failing grade on my own language. Right. If I made up Tommy glyphics, which was like hieroglyphics, an English teacher could never give me an F because it's my own world. I'm just, playing devil's advocate you could say he's no. and, and, and so if i played devil's advocate on that i would say okay then that would mean that somebody who played the lottery and won billion dollars is a genius maybe but clearly he's clearly he's not yeah yeah but, he, so, but he's made the money he has made the money yeah just because you make the money doesn't mean you're a genius no no well then it would come down to what's the definition of 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 success and on one angle, you might say the definition of success is making money. The other right. angle, you could say, it has nothing to do with money. It's about your ability to add to the scientific pool of human knowing. Sure, it all it all depends on what our definition. I guess financially, if we were to in the realm of finances, we could define his insanity as profitable. We could. That's about all you can say. <laughs> sure, I'll, I'll argue that. I, I will. I will. I will. I'll argue that in some fucked up court. But you know, back to the the power thing. So, kind of wanted to t- dive more into that. That is weird. How money seems to amplify who you are, but power makes you pretty much across the board worse, if not outright evil i'm sure power takes a bad person and allows them to be much worse like money but why is it that it takes a good person and also turns them evil is it because so to me this is about the future of humanity and see this is this is no one knows but a powerful person like xi jinping who thinks, hey, I'm here. I am better than everyone else. I deserve the billions of dollars I, I just take from my people because my genes are so amazing that I need to propagate my genes. So ultimately, power and money comes to that. I am better than you. Mm-hmm. And my I deserve the resources. And I'm going to accumulate them because my genes are clearly better than yours. And see, this is... 
this is argument over and over. You can always distill it down to that. And what I would say to that is, you, no one knows. You know, like the plague, half the population died, half didn't die. It wasn't because they were better. It was because the Yersinia pestis pathogen happened to not bind a certain way to certain people. Yeah. So the survival of our race does require diversity. We're not the same. We're different. It, it requires diversity, and no one can say who's better, who's worse. We need diversity because we don't know what we will face in the future, and we will adapt. And the way we adapt is not one person adapts. It's the people that had that genetic combination that was more likely to do well in that situation. They lived, and the others didn't. So you, you see how subtle this is. But power, basically, the basis of power is thinking you're better than the next guy. Really much better. And you're not, to me, see, I I had a relative who asked me, you know, if there were, who would you save? Last 10 people on earth are African-American. And there's a dog. He would save his dog. I would say, you you have no understanding. Okay, to me, all humans are 99.999% the same. We're very, very similar. We're all amazing. And if so you if you're educated and you understand biology, you understand how incredible humans are. And I want that to go on. I I think that's and the way we keep going on is we have to understand that powerful people think they're better. And they want to limit resources for other people. No, I'm, I'm not ever going to say that we should help everybody. If you can take care of yourself, you're part of the human family. Now, you know, I, I do think there should be insurance. Like the father had an accident. He can't support his children while welfare is necessary. I think they should strive to get out of it. But, you know, I think there needs to be in, within government and insurance for people who have accidents happening to their families, et cetera, and misfortunes occur, and some people lose their livelihood, and we need insurance. But I don't, you know, Xi Jinping, that level of power and corruption, where he just thinks he's that much, you know, this is how powerful people end up behaving. When China, after World War II, they said, oh, look, the China Chinese sparrow is eating our grain. What do they do? They went on a campaign for a year and just killed every Chinese sparrow in China. And the years after that, guess what happened? Nothing ate the grasshoppers and locusts. Yeah. And they had a famine for several years. So see, government, you know, intelligent men, it doesn't matter how smart they think they are. There are unintended consequences and they you can never figure out what's going to happen when you make a catastrophic move. Like like China, when they what did China do? They said one child, 1984, 85, they said. One child only. Well, you know, if I'm a farmer and I only plant one row of corn, the next year I'm like, damn, what was I thinking? I didn't get much of a harvest. I only got one. And one year later, I, I corrected it. I plant a lot more corn. But when you only plant one child, you don't realize your mistake until 25 years later. Mm-hmm. And now if you look at the demographics of China, I mean, I, I personally think the CCP lies about everything. They say they have a billion people. I think it's like 700 million. And if you look at their population versus 
any other country. They have so few young people and they have this huge population that are elderly. I don't think their economy can, can survive that on top of all the other nightmare messes they made, right? But governments that are in power always make these mistakes over and over. Powerful people aren't smart. They try to do things for themselves. We don't really have this like power problem with any other species but us. And I guess you would argue that's a so it has to be a side effect of where works in parallel with opposable thumbs, spoken language, the ability to transform your environment physically. But we don't have like the power problem with like like sharks or silverback gorillas. Oh, or snakes. No, I mean you have you have like listen to Jordan Peterson, you know, all the hierarchies are everywhere. Yeah, sure. But even then, there's no king shark who is gonna be good or bad. There's what you're physically capable of. You can, if you're the apex uh great white, you can sure you can eat any males that are coming up to replace you, but there's even a limitation to that. You no king shark controls the oceans, but with technology and more and more specifically with the, the the digital sphere of communications what marshall McLuhan called the the digital campfire it seems that power is spread out alexander the great can through language and through written decrees can control armies across the planet or now xi jinping can control the great firewall of china or you know if you're in the a bunker under the Pentagon, like you can control missiles being fired, but the whole power corrupting absolutely, like it doesn't it doesn't apply to like eagles. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's I know there, I know money. there are hierarchies everywhere it's because but... of money. Once you create money, then you really create power. But then even that, you have to step one. You have to go behind money and go. Well, what is money from? And it's I think it's from like written language, opposable thumbs, and like. A certain level of intelligence to create that society that we all participate in like no one turtle gives a shit what another turtle on the other side of the world thinks it just goes about its business that's it unless you can physically affect it you know you don't have to submit to the rule of a bigger shark the bigger sharks is going to eat you right so that's there is sort of an absolutism to that it doesn't matter what flag or if it's from the orders of the king no the big shark just eats you done so there is like a sort of raw truth in there but there are no like nation states of of animals where power can be corrupted and the empire falls and a vacuum fills it instead it's just very cold brutal natural selection just evolution just the thicker hide the stronger fangs the more poisonous bite but there's no contemplation of power. Does that make uh, sense? No, I mean, no one, no one snake is like, I'm gonna become so venomous that everyone fears me. It just it just happens and it seems to limit itself in these weird natural feedbacks. I, I don't know where I'm going with this. There's really no point or question. Uh I mean, I, I, I get all that, and this what I think is that anywhere in the universe where there's organic life. It all ended up the same way. So uh, that's what I really think. You know, I mean, 
there's a theory right now on why we lost our, our fur. And the theory is uh, we lost our fur so we could run after gazelles and not overheat. And, I, and I'm thinking, you know, I, I just can't buy that because if I'm the first one to lose my fur and they're going to make me run after the gazelles, well, if I finally catch one, I'm not going to share it. I'm just going to eat it myself because I did all the work. But really, if, if a gazelle overheats after five miles, it's taken me however long to get there, and he's not overheated. By the time I get there, he's going to run again. You see, the, the way human minds work with theories, that's a theory. If you look anywhere on Earth, why we lost our fur, that's the theory. Well, my theory is different. My theory is we lost our fur because the huge advantage, meaning as we started losing our fur, you know, this our skin, this is the boundary between non-self and self. Mm-hmm. And fur is extremely useful because it keeps you warm. And without warmth, we die. And you you don't you have to hunt for less resources if you're warm. Well, the problem with having all that fur is it's a nest for insects. And if you go to the zoo, every monkey and gorilla you ever see, mm-hmm. all they're doing is scratching. And if I if I get 10 mosquito bites, I can't think either. Well, the moment you lose your fur, your brain is freed up. Because you don't have to protect the boundary between non-self and self. You have to protect it from the vaxxers. But aside from that, no one's trying to poke your skin. Yeah. And that boundary between non-self and self, your skin, you don't have to worry about the insects crawling in. And we have itchiness because if you didn't have, if you weren't protecting your boundary, you aren't you. Hmm. So the ultimate, see, see how anti-vaxxers are the true real person. <laughs> You're protecting your boundary, right? And that instinct is super, super strong in us. Now, once you lose the fur, you're not focused on it. Your brain is freed up. Now you've got 10 male humans without fur. They're not all resourceful. Some are more. The more resourceful ones, it manifests now. It didn't manifest before. And now the females are always interested in the more you resourceful one because they need resources for their young. I'm not saying intelligent. I'm saying more resourceful. Mm-hmm. And so then you have this huge jump every generation, and you can see who's more resourceful. Before we were all just scratching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's right. It's like the idea of like the true, you know, aside from it being bad and you know just the empathetic parts of us. It's like the true tragedy of having most of the world's population still toiling in the field is that there's probably an Einstein or Stephen Hawking who if they just had a minute and a chocolate I'm glad you didn't say Stephen King though yeah no not Stephen King no 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 not writing about clowns eating people but there's probably a Stephen Hawking there's probably an Albert Einstein there's there's probably a a a, what are some others I don't know like there's probably a Rutherford or a Plank or whatever or an Enrico Fermi who's just toiling out in the field and has doesn't have any time to apply themselves. Well, I I I don't think it, you know, to me, a lot of people want to celebrate the the amazing people. Oh, what I'm I saying that's is, probably one in ten million. Yeah, but, but tell me, tell me, you have a great life. You're happy. You love your in outburst. I do too. The average person loves their life, right? Mm-hmm. 
So what I am saying is this experience, this awareness that we have, this experience of life, this consciousness is incredible. It's fun. And see, to me, the essence of intelligence is comparing. And so if I want fun for a lot of people, I, I think humanity should have, you know, we've got at least a couple billion years left of light on our sun. Mm-hmm. So we can have millions of generations of humans. How will we ever achieve that if we can't stop the powerful who always ruin it? <laughs> yeah, I mean. See, I'm actually anti-progress for most everything. Because if you think, like, you know, in China, they have a river going uphill to Beijing. Okay, how long can you keep that going? 50 years. China already ran out of coal, right? How, I did wait, I didn't know that. They have a river going uphill? Yeah. I just did, vanity, it's just a vanity project? Well, because they, they contaminate so many rivers in Beijing, and you know, they want fresh water, whatever the reason. There's more uh, you know, water in the south and less up the north. And, but the point is, It's not, you can't do that. You know, you can't just, it, it won't last. 50 years, nothing. We've got a billion years ago. Let's see. So this is whole, I did this whole thread on Trump. And I know we were just going all over the place, but Trump saved the world. Now, how did Trump save the world? Well, when he started that trade war with China, it became a huge issue for China. And, you know, before that happened, Everyone was afraid of China, even Merkel. She's so left. and They wouldn't even bring up the Uyghurs. But China is a CCP that's communist. They're bad. And they had this Belt and Road Initiative. They had mm-hmm. ports and, you know, they were militarizing the South China Sea. When all this started happening and then COVID happened, and then Australia, knowing about this trade war, Australia was a little feisty and said, hey, we need an, an, an independent investigation into Wuhan. Xi Jinping says, Tariffs for you, 80% tariffs for everything. Australia was like, you know, they couldn't handle it. Make the fuck? Barley, yeah. wine, their coal. And then it turns out, oh, China needs their coal. But you just put an 80% tariff on it. Huh. And then China went through all this difficulty. You know, right before the Winter Olympics, they're like, okay, we're going to stop our steel industry. Why? We're going to stop it because... We want clear blue skies for the Olympics. No, 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 no. You're lying. You're covering up. You're spinning. You don't have coal. And you yeah. are so proud. You can't tell us, uh, forget the tariff on coal. Just tariff on everything else. Okay, see, what China was doing was weaponizing trade. They had this Belt and Road Initiative done. And once it's all established, all the way through Europe, Africa, and once that trade pattern is established, if some country acts out, some little nation acts out, China says, no trade for you. Mr. Yeah, it's called then that country dies, right? Weaponized, Weaponizing trade. Weaponized interdependence, I think is the term. Yes. And, the, and this is CCP, you know, I mean, what China's done. Huge skylines are 15 times longer than Manhattan everywhere. They, I mean, they've got dozens, dozens yeah, of cities empty. like this. They're empty. They did this in 20 years, right? Yeah. This craziness that they built. And they were going to rule the world and they weren't going to be nice about it. And Trump stopped that because the moment. Australia called out China. All of a sudden, well, everyone's realizing, oh, China doesn't have coal. Wow. And then China started imploding. Yeah. And then Indonesia says, okay, you know, we have our problems. We have our own internal problems. We, we can't sell coal for three months. They're the two providers of coal. And in China, 
their electricity generators don't want to buy coal at triple the price now because they are not allowed to sell electricity at a higher price. So why would they buy it at a low price, buy it at a high price and sell electricity low? Because the government doesn't let them raise the price. So then there were blackouts in cities for days at a time, major cities. So that exposed how weak China really was. And then the whole real estate thing, it started crashing. Trump actually started this and exposed China for what they were really up to. The rest of the world was just playing along with it. And now China can't do it. The whole Belt and Road Initiative, done. And so Trump saved the world from an evil CCP that was going to rule the world with an iron fist and just the way they want, not based on freedom, not based on individual rights, just the way they want, right? So yeah, Trump saved the world. Yeah, it's... uh. Right, it's kind of like like a like a government project. Government project doesn't need to be profitable, doesn't need to be efficient, right? Because it's just government decree. You know, if if Boeing wants to build a new plant, or if Xfinity wants to wire new internet, you know, they gotta they gotta plan it out. They gotta look at the statistics, the numbers, and a five year plan, and go, can it pay for itself? It's it's very like um, what word am I looking for? It's very like it's almost like the free market of capitalism is very like like thermodynamical, if that makes sense. It's very it almost obeys like enthalpy and entropy in that like it has to be efficient in some form. It, it has to balance itself. Yeah, there's checks Versus, and balances because yeah. if you do something and you you're not getting paid, you can't sell your product. Then you so know, it is it is capitalism is almost like a weird higher level manifestation of the laws of thermodynamics and then government it depends you know if you're looking at something maybe like the space race or like the development of the internet in that microcosm it doesn't look profitable but then when you zoom out 50 years and you go oh they set the initiative for this new technology then you could argue that is profitable and if all the companies are based in the united states paying taxes you could look at it as some weird higher level profitability but then when there is just government corruption or you know the king building a statue 500 feet in his name and it doesn't do anything it's not a wall to protect the village it's that metal isn't being put into plowshares or swords then you see how it's not that's kind of another I guess, toxic effect of power is that like it doesn't need to be profitable. It doesn't need to be from the will of the people. It is just one person saying, this is what I want. I don't give a shit if you're all going to go hungry. I mean, during the People's Revolution or whatever, the Great Leap Forward, whichever one it was, uh, Mao took a bunch of scientists in like the new industry of uh, chip manufacturing. I just read this book called Chip Wars. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had all these guys go out into the, the the hillside and become farmers. He had these guys who right at the beginning of like silicon wafers or even before that, I mean, truly 1950s, 1960s, like it's just getting started in the United States and the Soviet Union. Ma- Mao took whatever few they had and was like, y'all are going to go farm beets. And it was like, what the fuck? Like you took the smartest people and had them had them go farm. So it's like, it's like this weird perversion of well, and then like thermodynamics, it can't be avoided. It eventually, you know, the chickens come home to roost. Eventually that system collapses, but that is kind of a, 
everything we're doing does seem to be some weird higher level manifestation. It's almost kind of like how the universe repeats. And I know the model of the electron isn't perfect. We now know it's probability clouds. But loosely, you could say there's like electrons orbiting protons and neutrons, right? That's pretty much the very loose model. And then we have the the earth the, the the moon orbiting the earth and then the earth orbiting the sun and the sun orbiting the local or the the supermassive black hole and the milky galaxies milky way galaxies in the local cluster which is in the supercluster which is in the filament and firmament whatever the hell it kind of repeats itself right that is an odd thing that like the markets themselves are almost these weird repet repetitive patterns of thermodynamics. And the more one-sided it gets, it's not like money where you can just print it endlessly. Eventually, well, it is like money. You can print it endlessly. Eventually, inflation wrecks it. You can disobey the the laws of entropy and enthalpy for a little bit you can build these massive vanity projects but like china building those ghost cities but see china would have gotten away with it well eventually sure you can get away with it for a little bit you no, can no, no. if they had set up this belt road initiative and they had every other country relying on them they would have gotten away with it yeah and then all those, you know, empty cities, it wouldn't have mattered. They no. would have controlled they'd be everything. in charge. Yeah. So you see how, how what what you're trying to say, what I'm trying to say is very similar, but I am saying that human will, you can make a difference because sometimes they'll go a bad way, a really bad way. And sometimes you can prevent that. So sometimes one person's actions can make a huge difference in history. And I think that's what Trump did when he started that trade war with China. It would it just took China down. China's not a threat to the world anymore. Do you think the United Do you think the United States? Do you think there's any chance that the United States started COVID? No. I'm starting to think. I'm starting to think we did. I've 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 always thought it was China. But the more I'm looking at it, now that we're what? It's November. It's almost December 2022. It's almost been three years. It's COVID's pretty much dead here. You have boosters still, and everyone's like, ah, fuck off. Like no one's wearing masks. Nobody gives a shit. Right? right. It's it's done. Whatever. The ads are done. The mandates are done. Everyone's getting rehired on it's it's fuck it's old news. It's over. Whatever, right? But China is still doing zero COVID lockdown policy with drones. I don't know if you saw this video that came out, I think, yesterday. These autonomous drones flying flew through the streets of cities, spraying this. And you have, I think there was a fire yesterday because they welded the door shut. And I know that's been happening yeah, since the beginning. Lied, yeah. But there was a fire yesterday. And I think Tianjin and 10 people burned alive. You have COVID protests. Like, they're not acting in a way that, at first, it kind of seemed like China released it because it seemed like they were benefiting the most. Everybody needed PPE and everybody relied on China. But now that we're three years removed and the rest of the world's kind of just moving on and they seem to be eating themselves alive, 
now I'm starting to look at it like, and it could still have just arisen naturally. Like I'm not saying that's impossible, but if anyone released it, I'm starting to think it was us. I'm not for or against it. I'm just objectively looking at it. Well, I mean, the the U.S. Rest, you brought it up with Australia. The rest of the world is starting to decouple from China. Yeah. Who does that benefit? Us or China? Uh, yeah, clearly us. But then you know, Biden's not helping with all the stuff he's doing. No, sure. It's not. It's not. It's not a monolith. The U.S. government's a ton of factions. But well, see, this is this is what the conspiracy theory is. You have to say that somebody would know how all this would play out. No one would ever do what? I'd say that again. You would have. You you have. To you have for conspiracy theory, you have to assume that somebody who started this would know how it would play out and that the US would benefit in the way it's benefiting. I'm just saying generally it's so complicated. That it's but let's let's play devil's advocate. It could be that you know that there's a lot of un, unintended consequences, but maybe you run it through a supercomputer and it's like seventy-five percent of the time the US comes out on top. And maybe anything, what I think is that China hated this trade war with Trump. There was a professor in China that actually came out and said all this to his students. It was videotaped, put on YouTube. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Where they like will use bioweapons to like remove. No, no. Sorry. What he was saying was we usually had no problem with any kind of trade dispute because we'd find somebody who could pay off. Yeah. But in Trump's administration they they couldn't deal with it they couldn't resolve this trade issue that they had because in the past it was always simple they just found somebody to pay off somebody to be a buy off but but this time they couldn't and so what i think if i have to come up with a crazy theory on what happened okay so china has a huge elderly population well that, that's another one yeah you got to remove the elderly yeah so what every respiratory virus on earth kills the elderly at a much greater rate than than young so if anyone had a reason to release this, it would be China because, one, they could take care of their population issue. Two, they could hurt the U.S. economy so the incumbent wouldn't win. And they could, yeah. you know, if the U.S. has a stay-at-home lockdown order, then mail-in ballots yeah. are legitimized. Yeah. And, you know, everyone in the world knows it's all fraud. There's more sure. cheating with mail-in ballots than anything else. And just for them to be able to say that that doesn't happen... I'm like, wow. and no, I'm with you, but you wouldn't even need the fraud. Just if you tanked the economy, you'd have a lot of people just saying, fuck Trump. Right. So you see what I mean? So China had every interest. You know, they talk about Russia collusion. This is what I think happened. I think China started investing heavily in big tech mm -hmm. with the implicit understanding, hey, I'm giving you hundreds of millions of dollars in investment and you need to shut up Trump play ball yeah and so they played ball facebook google everybody right what free speech was gone in our country in like six months <laughs> yeah it was crazy no i've, I've the, thought the fact that elon musk you know bought twitter i mean i can say all this stuff and get a lot get away with it couldn't everyone was deathly afraid to say anything i've i've thought about all these things and talked about them endlessly on this pod for the last thousand episodes though everything you just mentioned destroy the u.s um uh, supply line, make the economy look bad, mail in ballots. You have reasons for censorship. It's for your health. You have all these. And I've always kind of gone along on that, that line of thinking. It all benefits the creation and introduction of a Marxist society into the United States. Yeah. 
but now it seems like it's hurting China and not <laughs> that's us. What no one had it all planned out. So, like so that's that's probably the most probable outcome. If it originally yeah. hurt us and is now hurting China, right? Then it probably was just a chaotic, yeah, just spontaneous event of of chaos. And and really, now I don't think we'll ever worry about a, a respiratory pandemic again. Because our body has a certain way of handling it. And when we understand it, we can just facilitate it. Yeah, yeah Ebola is a little scary, but it's so deathly, deadly that, you know, hey, it doesn't spread very easily. Not not as easily because people are just falling and dying. They're not going to cocktail parties and having a little sniff when everyone just ignores it. So every other respiratory virus that ever comes, we'll just handle it by fasting. Yeah. And, it, 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 it you know, for it to be a weapon like Ebola... Well, there's Ebola. You already have it. And if, if everyone comes up with these theories about, oh, you create this virus, then that pathogen, I'm like, if you're a real bad guy, steal yourself some Ebola. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. else? You can't make anything worse than Ebola. So why are you what, worried about anything else? If you think COVID was made, look how our infants handle it so easily. And it was made, and it's a bioweapon, and it's our infant, infants handle it like nothing. Yeah, you're a bad maker of evil bioweapons if this is your best you can do. Just steal some Ebola then. Well, the, I, I think the, the devil's advocate argument would be, one, you don't want something so dangerous that it hurts your own people as well. And two, if you were so out in the open as an Ebola, everyone would immediately go, that's a bioweapon you're probably looking at a nuclear strike on China versus if it's something that's just kind of bad, that's a little more, that's a little more belief. If you pull off some insurance fraud for 10,000 bucks, you might get away with it. If you try to pull it off for 10 billion, that's when all of a sudden you got a bunch of investigators looking at you. So as far as bioweapons go, you might not want it to be outright evil and, and malicious, because you're going to get nuked versus this is a little more death by a thousand paper cuts kind of thing. Again, I don't, I don't know. I'm just playing devil's advocate. I just, yeah. I mean, people always talk about the evil genius. I just, I have a hard time believing in it. I think the most likely thing is that this probably was engineered, but it wasn't, no one ever intended for it to be released or if it was intended to be released, it was going to, they still had a lot of work to do and it, they jumped the gun. It got out by accident because as far as bioweapons go, like you said, not, it's not sure that doesn't make light of the millions of people that died, but it's also, it's also not that effective as a bioweapon. So, and I, I think you really have to, you know, Remember, every life is not the same. Because if you have an 85-year-old that passes away from COVID, you lost five human years of life. Yeah. If you have a five-year-old that has a horrible side effect from the vaccine, you, you lost 80. Yeah. 80 years of human life. So I really don't think, you know, it's just accurate. The sure, way it, sure. So that's what I think. I think it was probably... And I don't know enough, but a lot of people a lot smarter than me have kind of theorized that it's got some traits that nor that like wouldn't arise naturally. And just it being released in Wuhan 
I feel like it probably wasn't meant to be released, or at least not yet. Everything about it's all in a gray area. Like it kind of seems like it was on purpose, but kind of not. Does that make sense? It's like a I weird. Just, I think what? humans are a lot stupider than we give them credit for. <laughs> I think you're probably right there. I'm. I might be trying to. It's like um. I forget who said it. I mean, I'm really happy that it played out the way it did for the U.S. Sure. And for Trump being able to expose China and for Australia's role in all of this, I, I just think we're in a better world because of this. And I know, I know I'm know, i not anti-Chinese. I, I know the Chinese people are suffering and I feel bad for them. Well, they have a stupid government. The government that only cares about the CCP members and no one else, right? Yeah. So they have, they have problems. I mean... If you follow the rules of basic decency, then we don't want you to rule the world. Yeah, I think uh, I think it was the author Gerald Posner. I'm not sure, but I think it was him. I am I had him on here like two years ago, but he he has a lot of great books. One of them is called Pharma, but another one's uh, called Case Closed, and it's about the JFK assassination. And he has like a line in the, and it might not have been Gerald Posner. I don't remember. Who cares? But he says something along the lines of like, uh, we have, we have like a scale in our mind of things that have to balance out. And when you look at World War II, right, four hundred twenty-five thousand Americans killed, twenty million Russians, you know, trillions of dollars of damage. The world set back. Mm-hmm. When you look at like, well, what caused this? It almost makes sense, right? An evil tyrant who had camps, had death camps, and was exterminating Jews by the mill. The evil sort of, you go, yeah, that probably would cause it, right? You know, for something like the invasion of Iraq to happen, there had to have been a 9-11 where you go, yeah, okay, no, Iraq wasn't responsible. But in terms of like generally glossing over, you go, that would probably be grounds for an invasion, right? Now, obviously, Saddam didn't do it, and that was all cooked. But in terms of just general balancing, what Gerald Posner puts forward, he's like, we don't like the idea, because you got to remember, JFK was wildly loved by Republicans and Democrats alike. Mm-hmm. You know, they called the White House Camelot because it was him and Jackie and the kids, and it was just picturesque. He was, yeah, it was a good time. He was wildly handsome, young. He was young. He's a Kennedy. He's a you know Irish yeah, Catholic. Right. Took the Soviets toe to toe in the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know. And then we will yeah. go to the moon by the. He's loved, and then Lee Harvey, this rat-looking douchebag who beat the shit out of his wife, had delusions of grandeur. We can't really. The scales don't balance out that that guy. You want to make the evil bigger. So there's there's a part of the mind that goes, it had to have been a CIA plot because it's the only way we can ration. And that's that's Gerald Posner's idea. And I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, I don't know. Does that apply everywhere? Probably not. Sometimes shit can happen. But that's my point is like what's happened over the last two and a half years from the riots of 2020 to the big tech censorship, to the collapse of the supply chain, to the vaccine injuries. 
like my mind maybe it's maybe i'm guilty of that my mind's almost like it can't be that a pangolin had sex with a bat right it had to have been an evil communist in a lab like and i'm admitting that might be my own shortcoming where sometimes shit just happens i don't know man i mean i'm just looking at it from the science perspective if you know, whenever somebody comes up to me and says, oh, they, they made this virus, I say, well, okay, so there are billions of viruses being made in every animal, every pangolin, and every animal then is like uh, 30 labs that have $200 million in funding. And you're worried about humans trying to make one variant, and there are trillions and trillions of these viruses being released all over the world by animals. I just... I, I just can't buy it. Yeah. Because, you know, there's so many variations being made by animals. I just I just can't buy it. And look how easy it is to treat. Yeah. I mean, it's that butterfly effect. Weird things can sometimes happen. And it just... And, it just, and that it, butterfly, you know, he didn't plan all that. Yeah, <laughs> it, just it, just, it, just, it just rippled. Yeah. The, yeah. The asteroid that took out the dinosaurs. That's not be that didn't happen because the dinosaurs were bad people. It's right. just, sometimes in a solar system with trillions of chunks of rock, sometimes you just get hit with one. And the the asteroid that took them out, they weren't planning on the creation of Facebook 250 million years later. Right. It just you wiped out the dinosaurs. The shrew took over. The shrew evolved, and then we come around. And after hundred thousand years of humanity and ten thousand years of civilization, you know, a bunch of assholes come up with Facebook. Yeah, and, yeah. and it will happen every time you have carbon date carbon based organism anywhere in the universe. Because see, by definition, a species has to want to propagate. Yeah, has to want to mingle with other members of the species. Has to want to reproduce and eat. It's all the same principles. So we're all still everywhere on Earth. We would come up with the Internet, which is just sharing information everywhere in the universe. It would eventually arise. Yes. Once you discover fire, it all happens. Yeah. Everywhere once, it all happens. Once you start fire, it's only a matter of time before you walk on the moon. Exactly. And you're sharing information. It's, it's all it's the natural course. Now, the reason why I say that we should stop progress is because. This point of diminishing returns. So, you know, if you have stomach upset, Prilosec works great. And in a thousand years, Prilosec will still work great. And it costs pennies. Then they came up with a variation that's like two, but two different or a fourth generation. How much different is it? Meaning it costs tens of millions of dollars to come up with every new variation. I am saying that you know, to be anti-progress is usually silly. But I am saying I'm anti-progress because that's the only way for humanity to actually extend. The only way for humanity to extend in a million years is stop progress. <laughs> and as, as a species, we're not going to change that much in a thousand years. So, you know, you we're not going to have better burgers in and out. We're just not going to do that. So we have diminishing returns on everything we do and now we're just like reaching for all these amazing things to try to make everything a little bit better. I'm not going to make it. The life that you live and the life that I live is a pretty good life. 
Awesome. And if we could have that for our children for 10,000 generations, everything that we do now should be weighed against, well, how many generations of humans do you have to give up to do that? Or if you want to make a river go uphill in China, you have to give up a thousand generations of humans. Would you do that then? No. You see, and even Elon Musk's idea of, you know, going to Mars and everything, he doesn't understand evolutionary biology. We won't make it there. We'll never make it there. All the fights we have here, imagine being on, on Mars with four oxygen generators that have a lifespan of 50 years and no one's coming. There's just going to be fights nonstop. And then there's going to be 10 people left. They're going to try to live it out. <laughs> you know, we, we evolved here. I can keep a starfish from the ocean alive on my desk for like 10 generations and then they'll be dead. If it stays in the ocean, it'll live there a billion years. See, it evolved exactly where it evolved and every all organic life in the universe, wherever it evolved, born, it's supposed to stay there. Mm. Because whatever weird minerals we need, it's all here. It's not on Mars. It's just, see, the essence of intelligence is being able to compare. And if, I, if anyone says, oh, go to Mars or go to or go to Earth at the time right before the meteorite hit and the dinosaur were extinct. You would rather go to Earth at that time because you have all the oxygen you need, you have all the water you need, you'll find food, and you can survive. You can't survive on Mars, okay? And, you know, if we're really worried about humanity, anything that happens to Earth is going to happen to Mars, right? I mean, if there's a, if there's a huge catastrophic thing on Earth, the worst thing that we can possibly imagine on Earth, and the way to save humanity then, would be to have a bunker city on Earth with 200,000 people always living in that bunker city and everyone gets drafted and everyone puts in a year of their time. And that's, you know, if an asteroid hits or something, we, we, we have preserved human life. That would be infinitely more useful than we, putting anything on Mars. We, we kind of already have that, though. Continuity of government. We do have a system of hundreds of bunkers in the United States. No, I'm saying 100,000 people is kind of what they consider to be the minimum amount you need. Yeah, but I, for, I agree. For, even, if, even if an asteroid hits, not everyone's going to be wiped out. So what I am saying is, when, what see scientists, why, just why not, because you... Why not I, both, I, I go through this over and over and over again with people. I'm like, see, we got to the point where we can do stuff. So there's this YouTube video I saw of a guy who built a metal cheetah. And I made fun of him. I'm like, okay, you, you, you made, we can kill a cheetah with a bullet that looks nothing like the cheetah. You made a metal cheetah that can beat the cheetah. Now, let me explain to you what you can do. If you eventually get to replicating that cheetah exactly, you want to kill the cheetah with something, you want to beat the cheetah with something that looks like the cheetah. Well, eventually you'll make another cheetah. And then there will be a 50% chance that your homemade version of this cheetah can beat the real cheetah because they're identical. So if you can imagine every possible scenario, why would you do any of them? You wouldn't. So, you know, physicists talk about space and, you know, or whatever. No, our only goal as humans is to appreciate our life that we have and to let it extend for, you know, we're probably not going to get past 200 years, right? The way everything's looking. Our goal is to get to millions of years. And the only way we can do that is if we control our fucking leaders. Because the leaders always go crazy. You could argue that why not have both? Why not have a bunker system and shoot some people to Mars? Back to what we said earlier about if my 
if my belief enables me to control someone else's life, then I should probably do a double take. We would then have to conclude that people are free to go try to live on Mars. Even if I think that they're stupid and that it's going to be dangerous, that is their autonomy. See, that's like that's like going to the many versions of Cheetah. What's the point? Yeah. Well, that it's it's free will. If somebody wants to use their money and build a rocket, I could make fun of it. But ultimately, I don't think I should have a say in whether or not they go to. If you want to go to Mars, fuck do I care? See, I think ultimately they have to have a say because it's like China building that river that goes uphill. There's there's conspicuous consumption. But it's so, being it's being done by a private individual. This isn't the U.S. This is. Now we're getting into autonomy again. It's this is his if he got that money from his his profitable enterprises. Yeah, he's allowed to burn as much as I agree with you. Like, oh, like, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I agree. He can do it. I'll just keep making fun of him. No, no, <laughs> and, and that's and that's your freedom. And that's my freedom as well. Um, right. But hey, Dr. Lily, we got to wrap this one up. I got to get ready for the next episode. I Thank got, you. I guess in like three minutes. Um. I'd love to have you on again, man. You're a cool fucking dude to talk to. I'll put your Twitter in the description. I'll put your website in the description. Go follow him, and uh, this episode will be up later tonight. I'll uh, I'll text it to you. Thanks, Tony. Always fun chatting. Yeah, buddy. Thank you so much. God-